Well, good morning. It was cold this morning. Can I just say that? And I don't mean to rub it in or anything, but we're, gonna, we're getting ready to go to San Diego in a couple days. Thank you. <laughs> Esther loves me. I don't know why the rest of you wish for my ill. I'm looking forward to it, maybe like more than ever. Um, I talked to my folks last night and they said it was 80 degrees. Woohoo! Yeah, that's all right. Let me pray for you all. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are grateful to be here today. We know that we have uh, air in our lungs. We have life in our bodies because you have granted it to us. We are in this remarkable position of having peace with God because you have intervened. You have drawn us to yourself. You have sent us your son whose death, burial, and resurrection is the basis and the only basis on which men can be saved. So though it's cold and though it can be dark and though it's maybe a hard place to live, we rejoice because you have given us not only earthly life but eternal life in your son Jesus. We praise you for that. We are pleased to gather here together and ascribe worship and honor to the Lord who deserves it. You are almighty, you are sovereign, you are above all. And so we come here now to orient our hearts to you to incline ourselves to you, to study your word, to be challenged. And this morning, uniquely, Lord, we especially gather for the act of making a corporate sacrifice of worship. Guide us this morning, Lord. I pray that you would meet with us. I pray that we would have a sense of your presence. We know you're always present, but may we be aware of it, especially this morning. We draw near to you, and with faith and hope, we know you will draw near to us. So we give our hearts to you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would uh, open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, At least that's where we're going to end up. Uh, We have completed uh, our series, Life by Believing, uh, really a series through the Gospel of John. And uh, the next series that we're going to start in a couple of weeks, I know you guys like to get a heads up. We're going to be going to the Minor Prophets. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) And we're going to be going to the book of Zechariah, one of of the hardest of all of the Minor Prophets. And uh, uh, it is a book of great encouragement, also of great mystery. It's going to be challenging. We're going to go to the deep end there. But one of the things that we find is the presence of the Lord with Judah, his encouragement to them. Uh, in the midst of all of the challenges that they have, that he is with them, that he is their God, and he is on their side. And I think that'll be a great encouragement to us. And um, so I want to tell you that. This morning, however, is Commitment Sunday. And we have been preparing you for this for a while. We all have been praying for this. We've had our 37 days of prayer. We've been talking about this weekly and incrementally getting closer and closer. We've been working towards Commitment Sunday since November when we kicked off our capital campaign a time to build. And so this really is the culmination of that. And of course, the goal is to raise $5 million for our expansion project. That's what we're after. And uh, last week, I had the privilege to announce to you that at a recent gathering of our, uh, our leaders, uh, sort of positional leaders, ministry leaders, financial leaders, we gathered together 
to ask them to uh, make their initial commitment. And in that meeting, in that gathering of leaders, there were 35 responses and $857,000 was committed in that meeting. And I was um, encouraged and blown away and excited and I, I can't wait to see what the Lord is gonna do when the whole church responds. That's gonna be thrilled. But you're gonna have a chance to do that in a little bit. And so I wanna make sure that you are uh, you know, prepared and aware by the end of the service, we're gonna ask you to corporately together make a commitment, a sacrificial commitment to the Lord as an act of worship. And we're gonna do it this morning. You can see the stations that are set out here, three and two in the front, one in the back, uh, and then two at the doors on your way out. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want you to know this is the Sunday that you have been prepared for. Uh, as the service is concluding, we're basically going to invite you to make your pledge. Uh, in your bulletin, you have a pledge card right there. Uh, and then together, as I've said, we're going to make a corporate sacrifice. And uh, I'm excited about that. In order to prepare our hearts for that, uh, I've chosen this, this particular text uh, this morning of, of 1 Chronicles 29. Because here we see an example of a leader in David and the community that he's leading, Israel, we see in them a heart of worship. And we see in them the heart of King David who is wanting to make a sacrifice for the name of the Lord and to call his people together to do the same thing, to recognize and to honor what God has done in their lives and to respond with the generous and sacrificial act of worship. Uh, it was the, the, in this particular passage in 1 Chronicles 29, we find a culmination of uh, really a long-standing dream of David's. This was Israel's commitment day or commitment Sunday, although I don't know if it was Sunday, but it was their commitment day. And uh, it was the day when the leaders came together before the people and they gave of, of uh, their sacrifices and offerings to the Lord and they asked the people to do the same and they did this as an endeavor to build the temple replacing the tabernacle. But again, we're here this morning because I want to focus on the heart of David and the heart of the people um, who, uh, who did this. And so this morning, actually, before you go to First Chronicles, now that I've told you we're there, don't, I always do that to you. I feel like we're going to start here. No, we're not. We're going to be over here. Um, before we actually go uh, to First Chronicles and start working through it, we're going to take a step back and we're going to look at a few other passages of Scripture and we're going to get kind of a running start at it, much as you should do if you're on the one foot line heading into the end zone in the Super Bowl. <laughs> you should take a step back and you should run. You should run and you should not pass. I was hoping for an amen. <laughs> And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to take a step back. And before we get into this passage, we're going to take a running start at it. And uh, we're going to make sure that we're hitting it squarely as we should. And um, let me ask you this. <laughs> How many of you are list makers? I want to know. List makers in the room? Yeah. Now, 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 now let's see if we can winnow it down. Let's see who are really our list makers. I'm, everybody makes a list, right? Grocery store, a few things to do today, whatever. I want to know who are our list makers, the kind that you have to use air quotes to give it proper credence, you know, the list makers. So here, here let's see if you fit the category. Uh, you might know that you're a list maker if you rewrite your list on a daily basis. Do you know what I mean? 
Okay, we still have some in there. You're a list maker if you have a short list and a long list. You know what I'm talking about? The long list, you know, those are just ideas. We'll get to those later. All right? I was talking to someone recently who identified herself as a list maker, and she said what she does in order to make her list is she has sort of this almost a brainstorm session of just getting everything out, and then she goes back and organizes it by categories. Okay? Some of you are nodding. Yeah, we're still there. All right. You know you're a list maker if maybe you have your own process of uh, kind of working through where you are in your list. In other words, maybe you have done one act of, of this particular item on your list, so you put a check next to it because you can't yet cross it off, but you want to show a little progress, so you put a check, like I've done my part, and I'm waiting dutifully for somebody else so that I can cross it off, right? Some of you are going, yeah, I got something like that. You know your list maker if you, this is going to stretch, this is going to, we're going to upper echelon here. If you know what a moleskin hack is, only a handful of you, I know, we're talking upper echelon. If you know what a moleskin hack is, uh, you're a list maker. You can talk with my wife about this. Um, And here's the classic. You know you're a list maker. If you complete something that wasn't on your list, could have been on your list, should have been on your list, so you put it on your list... (laughs) So you can cross it off. <laughs> yeah. I'm a list maker myself. I at least participate in many of these things, and I find great satisfaction in my lists. And I, I trust that probably many of you do too. I um, actually did put something new on my to-do list in life, which is figure out who the offensive play caller for the Seattle Seahawks are. <laughs> and ask, what were you thinking? So... Um, but let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten everything crossed off of your to-do list? I think the universe would implode if we ever did, right? We would just, frankly, have to die. That would be the only thing left. The list is done. In 2 Samuel, so now that you've got your finger in First Chronicles, please turn to 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, we find King David at an interesting place in his life. He has uh, seemingly crossed everything off of his to-do list. I'm sure that's never happened to me. Uh, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, let's look at this moment in life that uh, David is enjoying. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Let's identify this moment that that King David is enjoying. The kingdom is united. The borders are expanding. The treasury is filled. Uh, The enemies have been defeated. His palace has been built. Uh, As I imagine, David... Uh, I, I imagine him walking around his new palace, maybe looking out the window, sort of surveying his kingdom, reflecting on the beauty of the land, reflecting on the greatness of the moment and the peace and the tranquility that, that he's enjoying. In his nostrils is the smell of newly cut cedar. Very aromatic thing. I can almost see him with a cup of coffee in his hand. Don't know that they had that then. 
but a hot beverage, let's say. I can imagine him in his favorite robe. I can imagine his hands finally clean after all of the bloody battles and all of the fighting and all of the skirmishes and all of the work, after first starting out leading a group of rebellious, discontented, doubting debtors, he's now king, anointed in his throne, in his palace, his hands clean from battle. I can imagine him looking out in the streets and seeing children playing their favorite games, you know, David and Goliath, something like that. Uh, I imagine this deep sense of satisfaction and a sense of pride and peace and tranquility. Uh, But as he's sort of scanning the horizon and he's looking at this scene and taking in some enjoyment of of what is there, he sees one thing. His eyes fall on one sight that really troubles him. He, He sees the tabernacle of all things. This tent, this tent of worship off in the distance and he knows therein lies the Ark of the Covenant. And in this moment, he is confronted with this disparity of him and his palace and the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. And so that's the moment here. That's what troubles him. That's what gets his attention. And so let's look at our first point. You've got a real simple handout this morning. First of all, at the heart level, David wants to honor the Lord for his goodness to Israel. He wants to honor the Lord for his goodness to Israel. Now you should be familiar with the tabernacle if you followed with us through our, our series through the book of Exodus. But if you're new or you missed that or you've forgotten, uh, you didn't, uh, don't recall that. The tabernacle was this place of worship. It was the temporary dwelling place of the Ark of the Covenant which was the locale of God's presence on earth. It was where God's presence sort of touched down on earth. And if you remember, when Israel was delivered from slavery in Egypt, God gave Israel the plans to construct this tabernacle, and they loved it. They enjoyed it. They were thrilled with it, because finally there was a way for this sinful people who were very aware of their own sin, there was a way for a sinful people to approach safely a holy God. God had revealed himself to them, And they shook in terror and they trembled at the foot of the mountain when he spoke. And they told Moses, we don't want any part of going near that God. And yet God made a way for them to come close. And he did this through the gift of the tabernacle. You remember in Exodus 35, we saw them actually uh, giving generously to this particular project to construct this venue of worship. And uh, we sort of rejoiced and chuckled and sort of gloried in the picture of there actually being giving lines so that people could pour out the blessings that God had entrusted to them on this particular project. And the elders had to come out and say, no more, we're overwhelmed. You've outgiven the need. And... um, that was the tabernacle. It was this tent-like structure. It could be packed up and, and uh, was able to travel with Israel as they wandered, as they battled, and as they advanced into the promised land. But after 400 years of use and being carried around, uh, I would imagine that it was looking a little bit shabby. It was at least looking shabby in comparison to the palace that David himself was living in. And so David's heart here is simple. He is sort of reflecting over all of this. And 
you know, I think of him as, as this shepherd boy who was out in the fields, who himself lived in tents. And now by God's goodness and God's grace, he finds himself in this palace and at peace. And the contrast of that against the Ark of the Covenant, the locale of God's presence, still in a tent after 400 years, bothers him. It isn't that the tabernacle isn't special. It isn't that it's insignificant. It's just that it's incongruent with the blessing that God has poured out on David and his people. And so one of the things, so he has this in his heart. And what we find here is that David is actually commended for having this desire in his heart. If you would turn with me now to 1 Kings 8, 18 through 19. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 18 through 19. It says this, But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, who is your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. And so here we find a bit of a fly in the the ointment here. David's heart after he surveys all these things is to do something honoring for the Lord, for the glory of the Lord's name. And we find that he is in fact commended for having this heart. This was a rightful heart for him to have. And yet, we're told both in the 1 Samuel passage and and here in 1 Kings uh, that David is not the man. And so, God delays David's plan, but we understand that he does not discourage his heart. He does not say that it was wrong. He does not say have nothing to do with it. He does not blast him. He affirms his heart, but it seems that for whatever reason, for whatever reason, David was not the right man and this was not the right time. In fact, as you explore those passages, you'll find it was because David was a man of bloodshed. And so God had uh, his son Solomon in mind to build the temple. I, I find this, that, that this really relates to Bethel Church. And, and some of you might know where I'm going with this. Some of you are going, oh, that's going to be interesting. Let's see how you do that, Eric. <laughs> I, I think what, what happened um, in our own experience, 15 years ago we came to a similar place that we are right now, which was we were exploring the need to expand our facilities. And at the time, the project was brought forward. And at the time, about 15 years ago, we didn't have any money, didn't have anything saved up, and the project costs were incredibly expensive, and the, um, the numbers of, of folks, the attendance at that time was a lot less than it is now. And as the membership considered this decision, they basically came back and said, we're not ready. And the answer at that time was uh, essentially no. And I want to say this. I think there was a lot of wisdom in that decision at that particular time. I wish over the next 15 years we had been saving money regularly towards the expansion project, believing that God would have that for us in time. Um, we didn't. But nevertheless, I want to say this. I think there was some wisdom in that decision. We didn't go into debt. We didn't leverage the church. We didn't hurt ourselves with that. We said this isn't the time. In fact, that's one of the reasons we've named this capital campaign A Time to Build. Because there is a time, as Ecclesiastes tells us, not to. In fact, it says there's a time to tear down. But there's also a time to build. And we believe that time has come. 
What we find here with David is this. He doesn't give up completely. So God confronts his plan, but he doesn't confront his heart. And so David, and I think this is excellent, David becomes the director of the capital campaign. And so he prepares his own heart to give generously himself to the project before them and then to lead the people by example to do the same thing. Leadership by example. Mark Twain has a great quote on this. He says, there are a few things harder to put up with than a good example. I like that. Classic Twain. There are a few things harder to put up with than a good example. And so that brings us to the passage that we have this morning. Here we have David as king. And at this right time, David and the people worship the Lord through a corporate sacrifice to construct the temple and honor the Lord in his name. Again, this is the culmination of David's long-standing dream to honor the Lord who had been so good to Israel. And since David, throughout the scriptures, is commended as a man after God's own heart, I want to pay attention to his heart as we work through this particular text. So now, 1 Chronicles 29, where we started. Now that we have gotten our running start, we can cross that one foot line into our end zone here. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onks for the settings, turquoise stones of various color, and all kinds of fine stone and marble of these in large quantities. All of these in large quantities, he says. Besides, in my devotion to, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for his temple, 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building, for the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? David is telling us something, or at least he's telling his people something. He's saying, I'm all in. I am personally invested. Actually, it's interesting. It says how generously he gives of of all these other things. And then he says, in addition to those, I've given of my own wealth. And so you get this sense, well, he devoted quite a bit of the national treasury to to this, which is fine. It would be nice to have one of those, wouldn't it? But that's what he did. He had committed that. And then he committed of his own resources. And I think this is excellent because he shows us, again, leadership by example. He's not going to ask his countrymen to do something that he himself is not willing to do. In addition to that, he's giving to a project of which he himself will not be the general contractor in contrast to his own heart. In addition to that, it's very possible that he won't even benefit or get to experience much activity in this temple. But he is helping to construct something, not just in a self-serving way, not just in a way that will benefit him,
but that will benefit the name and the honor of the Lord and those that will gather together to worship him. And so clearly what David is, is really driving at here is the honor of the name of the Lord. There's no self-serving measure in this. And he demonstrates that through his personal sacrifice and commitment. Look with me at verse 6. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. I love sort of the progression that happens here. First, we see that David leads out. He initiates and he shows, again, leadership by example. And he goes to his key leaders and he asks them to respond. And they do. It says that these key leaders gave uh, willingly. And, uh, and I liken this to what we did on Friday, January 30th, when we called together the ministry leaders of Bethel Church. And I told you these are positional leaders, ministry leaders, and financial leaders. And of those 35, as I've already told you, $857,000 was committed to the project. Look at verse 9. The people who I would sort of identify that with the whole congregation, the whole assembly. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And I want to tell you this. I left that meeting on Friday, January 30th, after we had counted things up and come up with the number that that had been committed. And I was greatly encouraged. I was rejoicing. We were rejoicing. What we are seeing is that God is at work in people's hearts towards this project. Now, I want to clarify a couple of things here. What we are intending to construct here, we are not doing this so that we might build a showy temple, okay? So let's make some distinctions. Uh, We're not building a place that houses the Lord or where the Lord's presence can only reside. Instead, what we want to do is we want to construct a facility that people can call home. Bethel Church, people's home. In fact, I would tell you that is my favorite description as I talk to people about their experience at Bethel. It is absolutely my favorite word that people use to describe their belonging here at this church, which is home. And I hear it all the time. Uh, It is our own experience, as I've, I've shared with you guys many times before. When Amy and I considered coming up here 13 years ago, and from our hometown in Yakima, Washington, we had about 30 family members right there. Amy was getting ready to give birth to our our first child, or had given birth at that time, and Aiden was just a couple of months old, and we were contemplating moving to Fairbanks, Alaska. We were leaving home and going to this, you know, foreign place, this huge risk, this scary thing. And uh, while we were contemplating that, we really felt like the Lord gave a passage of scripture to Amy from Mark 10 which talked about, talks about that he who has left father or mother or brother for my sake, well, I will not fail to give a hundred times as much in this present life and eternal life to come. And we feel like you all in this church are the literal fulfillment to that promise. We left a home and we left people and we left family, but you all have become our home. 
and you've become our people and you've become our family. And we're thrilled with that. Um, and I think many of you have experienced the same kind of thing. This is home for you. Uh, I received an email here just uh, a couple weeks ago, a former Bethel attender. They're located somewhere else right now, and they still consider this their church home. And that's what they say, and they have their heart sort of longs to be here with you all. In fact, they have a, uh, a daughter who's getting ready to head off to school, and of all of the options she had to go to, UAF was one of several uh, that, that she could consider. And she said, I want to go there because Bethel Church is my church home. They moved away years ago. And so that, that is the effect that, people, that Bethel Church has had in people's lives. And again, I don't think it's just because of a warm, cozy environment or familiar faces or nice people. I think this is home for people primarily because it connects us with our Heavenly Father. And because the people here become our brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, home is not an aesthetic, it's a relational dynamic. And I believe Bethel Church excels at connecting people with the Lord and leading them in a growing relationship with him, and doing that in a communal atmosphere and a fellowship where we become family together. And I think God has been using the ministry of Bethel Church powerfully these last few years. The growth rate that we have seen has been incredibly encouraging. You look around this morning and you might say, yeah, it's a little thin this morning. This is 40 below outside. I'm amazed at that. When I look into the future without presuming upon the Lord as near as I can tell and as far as I can see, I see God continuing to use this church in people's lives and I believe we need to prepare ourselves for an increased influence and an increased capacity. There's some challenges with this. I know there's the weariness of always making room for people, whether it's in our physical structure here or whether it's in our personal lives. It is hard, is it not? to constantly say goodbye to people who move on and to welcome and greet the new folks that are coming in. It's a challenge. I know it's something that gets wearying for for both me and for Amy. But here's what I come to. Here's the conclusion I come to with this. How can I withhold from others the benefit that we have received in this fellowship? How can I withhold a home for those who need it as bad as we did and maybe more? How can I fold my arms and say, we're good, we're comfortable, we're done. Let's just hunker down. I'd be ashamed to do that. So as scary and as challenging as it is to continue to open our arms and open our doors and to consider a greater capacity, I believe it to be an obedience to God. We're not doing it because it's easy. I think we're doing it because it's right. As we look at this passage again, I want to tell you, I'm just, I think it's so impressive to see the humility of David's heart as he leads the people. Even as he himself gives generously of the national treasure and then of his own resources, look at the humility in his heart as he indicates that all of this belongs, all of what we say that we have belongs to the Lord. We're not parting with our resources or redirecting what's already his. We're not saying I'm going to give of what I have. We're simply saying I'm going to take a little less. I'm going to keep a little less. Look at verse 10. David promised, excuse me, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours, 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks, and we praise your glorious name. And here, listen to this humility. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. So Bethel, this morning we're going to be asking you to respond to the Lord with what he, by what he has done in your life. We're going to ask you to respond in giving a corporate sacrifice. And we want you simply to do this, to listen to the way that he has been leading you these past weeks and months as you have been praying for this. We want everybody to give freely and wholeheartedly, not under compulsion. And I, I would say this, depending on how you look at it, this, this moment today, this morning, is one of these Kairos moments, I believe. It has been a moment that has been in the making for years, more than a decade. And I'm excited to see how God is going to move in your hearts. One of the things that I see here, and I've already addressed it a little bit, is we see David giving of the national treasury and of his own resources gold and silver and great amounts, right? Amy and I were talking about this a while back when I look at this passage we kind of shrug and go, well, of course he could. You know, when Israel came out of Egypt, they, well, they plundered Egypt. And then they moved into Canaan, they plundered Canaan. I feel like we've had a missing step in our capital campaign. <laughs> we've had no one to plunder. Um, and so in as much as we ourselves are committed to this project and are giving by example, I think it's hard for me to look at this and go, I have given gold in great amounts. And silver in great amounts. And that's humbling for me. I shared with our leadership group on Friday, January 30th, what I feel more like of the story that resonates more with me. I feel a lot more like the little boy who took his lunch to the disciples and said, if there's a hungry multitude, I have these fish and loaves. Could you do something with these? And we see the power of and the grace and the mercy of our God who took which was what was a sacrificial gift and multiplied it so many times that what was left over was more than had been given. Explain that to me. The only explanation is we have an all-powerful God. I'm not asking of you to give little. I'm asking of you to give great, but that greatness is not measured in the amount. It's measured in the sacrifice. In Exodus 35, when the people were called together to give to the building of the tabernacle, the first project, they were asked to give in consistency with what they had. In other words, there were people who gave gold, there were people who gave silver, there were people who gave goat hair. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're thinking, all I've got is some goat hair to give. And I would say, good, do that. If that's what you have to give, we're not asking you to give gold. Conversely, if you have gold to give, we're not asking you to give goat hair. We're asking you to give of what you have. We're asking you to give what God has entrusted to you. 
And we're asking you to do it for the glory of his name. So right now, we're going to lead you to that moment of uh, response. And I'm kind of excited about this because, I mean, we give, we give a regular offering, and that's part of our worship service. And there are familiar elements of a worship service. This is a new element for us, a corporate sacrifice of worship. And I think that's kind of cool. If you pull out your pledge card, I want you all to look at this. We're going to give you a few moments here uh, to respond. You all should have one of these in your bulletin. Some of you maybe have grabbed a pledge card or a commitment card previous Sunday or earlier on and you've already worked through it and filled it out. Some of you have already given online or you've already given in another setting and that's fine. Um, But this is an opportunity this morning for you to work through this, fill it out, and what we're looking for is a three-year pledge. This is what I can do over three years. So we're asking you to indicate the total amount and then sort of what increments you plan to do this in, whether it's annually or monthly or weekly or daily if you so choose. Uh, It's your option here. Uh, How you're going to do that. And uh, again, just a way to communicate with us what you're going to do. This we are using as a communication tool. We hope and we trust that God has already worked on your heart. And this morning you're you're just telling us what your act is going to be. And so I want to pray for this, and then I want to ask Pastor Keith if you guys would come up and uh, lead us in some worship, and, uh, and we're going to respond uh, by doing a time of worship and then giving this sort of on our way out as, as we go. So would you bow with me, and let's consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Father, we thank you for how you have been leading us as a church uh, these past few years. We thank you for the growth that we have seen. We thank you for the impact that we continue to see. God, we do not want to close our arms or close our doors and say, we have no room. We want our hearts to be open. We want our facility to be open. We want to make sure that we can continue to welcome people into your family, that they might come to know you as Savior and welcome them into the body of Christ, that we might help one another grow in our relationship with you. Father, I pray at this moment that you would be working on people's hearts, that it would be you who instructs them on how they should respond. Give courage, give faith, and obedience. May we, as a congregation, respond with a whole heart to the way that you have been leading us. We thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.